This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's Friday, and I'm here, and I hope you're here, too. Hi, welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you have to do is supply the call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else will be hands-free. Hey, it's Friday. I hope you're looking forward to a really great weekend serving the Lord. Uh, I'm going to be teaching tonight on, I think, my favorite thing to talk about, faith. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, the weapons of our spiritual warfare, and uh, the shield of faith is the only thing that we're going to talk about tonight, and uh, I really look forward to it. I'm going to even stick around after we're done a little bit and answer some questions if the uh, congregation has any questions, but uh, faith, we can't live without it, and so many of us are trying to live without it, uh, but um, I hope after tonight people will be a little more encouraged to trust God just a little bit longer the next time they're going through something that's difficult. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, on Sunday here for our three services, wherever you're going to church. Just start today by saying, okay, Jesus, I'm your servant. I'm available. How do you want to use me today? And you will, I promise you, run into some divine appointments. And believe me, church is so much sweeter when you're actually being used by the Lord, instead of just going and hanging out, when you're used by the Lord to minister to someone else. Okay, let's wait for your phone calls. I got some questions that have been sent while we're doing this. This is a statement, not a question, uh, sent in anonymously from our email inbox. And he or she says, regarding a statement you made on Wednesday about George Floyd, convincing testimony shows the police officer's knee on his shoulder, not neck, So you just never know the outcome of any trial and nobody should judge unless they are on the jury. Now, I read that even though it wasn't a question anonymous because I presume that you are pro-police and uh, I'm also presuming that you're a Christian because you're listening to a Christian radio program. But this is 
a lot of times where we as Christians lose our credibility in the world, we all know what we saw. It was on every social media platform available, mainstream media. Everyone knows what they saw. I am pro-police. We've got police in our church that I love. I absolutely love. I actually praying, pray for them daily. Uh, and I am very pro-police. And I am the first person to say that the overwhelming majority of police officers are really, really good. But you see, we who are more conservative, we also need to be more consistent. And this means when we see a bad cop, or we see somebody who does something like um, Officer Chauvin did, um, then we need to speak out against it. Otherwise, we lose any credibility that we have. Something else regarding this statement that uh, you made. Um, in the last three days this week, maybe four days, but three days for sure, in the last three days, um, there has been been overwhelming testimony about the cause of death. And it wasn't because a police officer's knee was on George Floyd's shoulder. Oxygen was cut off to his brain. And that was the cause of death. Um, he, he literally strangled to death. And um, again, I, I just think we've got to be honest. And if you were implying that I judged, I think sometimes we have to actually believe what we see. Well, thanks for listening at any rate. Uh, 340-9585, here's a question from our email inbox from Lucy. Is it acceptable for parents to bribe their kids to get them to memorize a scripture? A parent offers $1 per Bible verse. Um, Lucy, I, I, I think that's fine. I, I don't think that's a bribe. I think that's an incentive. Uh, we use incentives for everything. And I think anything that gets the word of God, David said, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. How could that possibly be wrong? So, uh, I, I think it's fine. Uh, I think it's fine. And uh, I think that shows, uh, some initiative to get their kids in the Word of God. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Chip from our email inbox. Let me go to a phone call first. So we don't like to keep people holding. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, you called early today. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. I need to get a transistor radio so I can listen to you on the radio because I don't have one in my house. But anyway. Do do they do they still have transistor radios, Jimmy? I don't know. I need to find one, maybe at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but, uh, I'm I'm old school like you, Jimmy. On, on my bedstand, nightstand by my bed, I've got a mm-hmm. radio with an earplug in it that I that it helps put me to sleep. And so I'm listening to Bible teaching or or this station or 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 another station. Um, and um, it, it's that that radio is so old; it's on its last legs. But I'm, I'm with you. What's your question, Jimmy? Okay, um, where is Calvary Northwest actually located? Calvary Northwest. It's in the Alamo Ranch area. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not familiar with the geography there, but the pastor there is a dear, dear man of God, a friend of mine. Uh, he was with me at our church for 12 or 13 years, Ellis Goins, and they are over in the Alamo Ranch area. And on their website, you can go to Calvary, Nor- Calvary Chapel Northwest, um, I think .com, it might be .org, but if you just Google Calvary Chapel Northwest, it would come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that's uh, Pastor Ellis. Okay, um, I was going to tell you, um, what's the difference between judging and because I've been told that I judge sometimes, and when I use scriptures, I don't know what's the difference between that and I don't know. Um, I guess <laughs> I have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, you you really don't. You know, uh, we all hear the don't judge. And and there's one Bible verse that seemingly every unbeliever in the world has memorized is judge not lest ye be judged by God. And um and they misunderstand. We're not judging anyone. Uh if somebody's living in sin and you say the Bible says this is wrong, this is sinful, and Jesus will forgive you, but you've got to ask him for forgiveness. You've got to, you, you've got to make him the Lord of your life. Then they'll say, well, you're not supposed to judge. We run into that, especially when we're talking about um, um, alternative lifestyles, uh, gay marriage, those kind of things. Well, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. But we are supposed to judge. We're supposed to inspect people's lives. And, and when we see somebody living like an unbeliever, then we have the opportunity. I would also say the responsibility to, to use their sin as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's not judging. They will accuse you of judging. But um, like all unbelievers, they don't understand the word of God at all. They don't care about the word of God. They don't even believe in the word of God. So we we say, look, I'm not judging you because Jesus died for your sins as well as mine. However, when you're living the way you're living, then I have a responsibility to point out to you that what you're doing is wrong. And they're going to call that judging, but the truth of the matter is they don't want to deal with their sin anyway. So that's sort of their defense mechanism. That's sort of their their gag reflex when when a Christian points out that something that they're doing is wrong. So I wouldn't worry about it. You know, uh, Jesus said people aren't going to like you. They're going to hate you because of him. And I think we just have to get used to it, Jimmy. But but uh, I think we have to be kind. We've got to use it, as I said, as an opportunity to present the gospel. But if we don't point out sin then it's the most unloving thing that we can do. Hey, uh, Jimmy, I've got I've got the, uh, an address for you for Calvary Chapel Northwest if you've uh, got a okay. piece of paper. All right. It's okay. one one okay, 10822 FM 1560 in San Antonio. It's just northwest of Braun Road in 1604. Okay. Say it again. Okay. 10822 FM 1560. Okay? Okay, I got it. I got it. Thank you, Jimmy. Have a wonderful weekend. God bless. You too. too. Bye-bye. Okay, let me see the question that I was getting to. This one's from Chip from our email inbox. Is the day 
referenced in Hebrews 10.25, the same as the day of the Lord is referenced in Acts 2.20. In other words, the rapture versus judgment day. Um, in, in Chip, in both in every case where you see the day referenced, it's always referencing referring to the, the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. It is the day of judgment. It's when his enemies are going to be destroyed. And that's what Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling together of the saints as some in the habit are doing. But but as the day approaches or we see the day approach, um, we're to use the fact that Jesus is coming soon um, sort of as our motivation uh, to be able to tell people about the Lord. So, yes, the day of judgment. There is a day when Jesus is going to come. He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he is going to destroy um, his enemies. Plain and simple. Um, that will will lead into the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. This does not, however, have anything to do with the rapture. The rapture will happen uh, seven years prior, at least seven years prior to uh, Jesus' return. One other interesting thing about the day of the Lord, Chip, is when he comes, Revelation chapter 19 is where you can read the specifics about that day. Uh, when he comes on that day, we will be coming with him, Christians who have been uh, in heaven for seven years at the marriage supper of the Lamb, will be with Jesus, will return with him as he comes destroys his enemies, and establishes his kingdom. So the day is always a reference to the judgment of the world, the judgment of sin in this world, and that refers to Jesus' second coming. Good question. Thank you, Chip. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question that came into the station at KSLR. Uh, Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Just a quick question. How long were the Israelites in Egypt? The number of years is not very clear to me. Um, It's not clear because there's a reference to 430 years and then general references to 400 years. Uh, It depends whether you mean uh, uh, Jacob, uh, Israel's 70 people uh, who were saved by Joseph uh, in Egypt. Uh, They were in Egypt for... um, uh, 30 years or so, and then the Israelites were enslaved. And so, um, uh, one, uh, the the answer to the question is they were slaves for 400 years, um, but uh, Israel had representation in Egypt for about 430 years. Good questions. I like that. Here is a phone call from Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. It's happy Friday again. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) You know, I'm wondering about something. And when Jesus was outside of the tomb and Mary Magdalene saw him, and she wanted to have a physical contact, and that meaning she wanted to give him a great big hug, well, why did he say not to? What, what was the, was there something that you know, kind of a cooting or something? I don't know. But what I'm curious about is when he that this is part of what I'm curious about is that when he was in a crowd of people where it says that they were going to you know stone him or do something to him, then he managed to walk right through them, and nobody mm-hmm. knew it was him. I'm wondering could he have changed his appearance or did he just shield their 
eyes from seeing him. And then that led me to kind of wonder what happened up there when he went to heaven, when he did ascend to his father, what they did up there. I mean, because he kept down and he was physical, but he could walk through the wall or, you know, appear through the... Mm you know, through the roof and into the room with the disciples, and they could still feel him as a physical person, and, and yet he wasn't. So, and then the other thing, I don't want to wait till Monday to ask this either, so this is a double <laughs> duty today. I'm curious, in the wilderness, did the pillar by night, the fire of, uh, pillar of fire by night, and then the cloud by the day, did they go with them all 40 years in the wilderness? And I'm asking this because how in the world could they fall away from God, that whole generation fall away from God if they had a pillar of fire and the, and the cloud with them the whole time? So that's yeah. everything I have for this happy Friday, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. I want to start with the last question because the answer is so important for us. You know, we look at, at, at the miracles, the Red Sea and and the water from the rock and the manna that was there every day. And, and as you point out, the Shekinah glory of God in the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And we think, well, well what was wrong with that? How could they not believe after all those things? But here we are now thousands of years later. And we have overwhelming evidence that a man was killed, and yet he came back to life. And we sin all the time. That just demonstrates how hard the human heart is. Um, People sinned. Remember, Moses wasn't gone uh, 40 days, and they were already sinning with the golden calf. So uh, it's real simple. Uh, yes, and, and the, the pillar of fire and, and the pillar of cloud was there uh, the entire time. Um, they didn't have to guess when it was time to go. When the, when the pillar arose and began to move, that's when they packed things and headed out. So it was really simple. It was really simple. And um, um, the truth is that, that we just have hard hearts um, that's what we do. We sin because we want to. That's that's how they could sin. Uh, Mary Magdalene, the first question you asked, she was clinging to Jesus. I mean, she was holding on for dear life. Uh, I always use Mary Magdalene uh, when I'm talking about the effect the empty tomb had on people. And Jesus just said, no, don't don't hold on to me. He wasn't upset with her. And he just, I, I haven't ascended to my father and your father yet, meaning he still had more to do. He appeared to her, and he still had more to do. And he gave her a mission, sort of get her mind off it. But you go tell the disciples and Peter. And that was uh, why he told her. Now, with regard to Jesus going through the crowd, Cindy, what they were doing, um, they were trying to take Jesus by force. After all the miracles that he did, they were trying to take him by force to make him king. And because it wasn't yet his time, Jesus was then able to slip through the crowd. Now, uh, Jesus didn't do anything. This was all from the Father in heaven. Jesus just kind of slipped through the crowd. He always did what he saw his father do, or he only said what he heard his father say. So uh, from heaven, yes, they were were unable to see him. He would just sort of work through them. And um, uh, he was in a physical body. He hadn't yet been... Um, resurrected, obviously, because at this point he was still alive. It just 
wasn't time yet. Now, the thing that really thrills me the most about uh, your, your, your question is, is considering Jesus' glorified physical resurrected body. Now, I'm not a scientist, but molecules could just sort of spread apart. He, he could walk through walls. Uh, he could be in one place and then instantly be in another place. Uh, the, the road to Emmaus disciples are an example of that. But you see, it's thrilling to me because that's the kind of physical, glorified physical resurrected body that we're going to have. So yeah, Jesus could appear to them and he could be in the flesh. He says, this, I'm not a spirit, I'm not a ghost. Uh, I have flesh, touch and feel. Uh, he ate just to demonstrate that that was really him in his physical body. But but his body took on a whole new element after the resurrection. And so too, because of him, will ours. I just can't even imagine how glorious it's going to be to have a body that can be anywhere. You know, Paul and I, we go on vacation uh, in the summertime to the beach in California. And, you know, I'm just not a good traveler. We're going to do a a marriage conference in May in in Oklahoma City. I'm just not a good traveler. I don't like it at all. And um, um, to imagine just saying, okay, Jerusalem, I want to be with Jesus now. You just be right there. So that's the best thing about our glorified, resurrected bodies that we're going to have. And because his body, John tells us that we don't yet know what we will be, but we do know this, we will be like he was. Our bodies will be like his, and that's the way it's going to be for, well, at least a thousand years, and then we get to go to heaven, and who knows what the new body is going to be like. You know, I talked about flying a moment ago. Um, you know, we, we can't even go to, to 10,000 feet um, or 30,000 feet when we're flying somewhere uh, without the plane being being depressurized or pressurized, rather. And um, that's because our bodies aren't meant to be in, in the air at that altitude. And yet, when we get ready to go to heaven, Jesus is going to give us a body. When we're raptured, we're going to receive a body that can be in the dwelling place of God. I mean, just think about that. We won't need any oxygen we won't need any pressurization of a, of a cabin to travel therein we'll instantly receive a body that's fit for not only time but also for eternity forever and ever and ever sort of the new improved version i tease all the time new and improved are the worst three words in my my vocabulary because uh, they change products and it's never better but um uh it really will be new and improved as I get older, Cindy, my body is wearing out. Uh, it hurts. Paul and I are back at the gym since they had the mask mandate removed. And, and uh, you know, we're sore and our joints hurt. And it's I hate to sound whiny, but that's just my body. I can't tell you how I'm looking forward to a new glorified resurrected body. So, Cindy, thank you. Good questions. Very, very important. Here is a question. We've got a couple minutes left in this half hour. We'd love your live calls. Um, Tom says here. Let me get this question real quick. Okay. Um, 
Tom says, Pastor, how can I keep from getting really angry when every day I see this government destroying the country I fought for? Tom, I truly understand your frustration. There is um, nothing we can do. We have obviously in our church a whole bunch of veterans um, who who fought for this country. And uh, it's hard to watch what happens. And the way you keep from really getting angry is keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember that the people that are ruining this government are the object of our ministry. The people that support the government that you say is destroying our country, they're the objects of our ministry. And so we need to be um, actively evangelizing them. We can't get mad. You can't share Jesus with people that you hate. Anger is, um, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, Tom. So if you're getting really angry, then you've got to walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh. That's just how simple it is. You've got to make a choice that I'm going to remember that the people I'm angry with are the people that Jesus died for. He loves them. i got to love them. And, and for me, the only way I've been able to do that effectively, Tom, not, not just in the situation you're talking about, but, but with people who have done terrible things to me in the past, is I pray for them. And when I pray for them, God changes my heart toward them. And Tom, he'll do the same thing for you. But you've got to actively pray for them. Pretty soon, you'll get past the praying through clenched teeth phase, and you'll really find yourself wanting these people to be saved. Good question, Tom. Just work on it. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions we just had an anonymous caller call into the studio and ask um i don't know what happened to my screen here um, the Old Testament says that when Jesus returns, he will return on the Mount of Olives. Is this a literal translation or just a metaphor? And if it's literal, where will it be? Uh, the Mount of Olives is real. It's literal. The, the, Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to set his feet into, there's going to be this huge earthquake, earthquake like, like the world has never seen before. And the Mount of Olives is actually going to split in two. So this isn't a metaphor. This is literal. And as to where it will be, the Mount of Olives is less than a mile. Uh, about a half a mile from the western wall. You can turn on pictures of Jerusalem and you'll see Jews praying at the waiting wall or the western wall. And it's only about a half a mile. And in those days, uh, remember that things are going to be so horrible. Um, that's where people are going to be and, and they're going to see Jesus coming in the sky. And there'll be no doubt that this is God. In fact, in, in many of the the uh, judgments, um, the 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 bowl, the vial, and the and the uh, uh, trumpet judgment. 
Um, people know that this is judgment from the Lamb of God. They shake their fist at him. But uh, it is as literal as it can be. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. I've got Hi, a Jeff. comment. I've got a comment about something I read and then a question. So okay. I read something in the Los Angeles Times. You know, they mm. they really seem to have very uh, scathing critiques on Christianity, <laughs> even at Easter. You know, they talk about why the world would be better without Easter. But I sure I uh, I read an article about ethical non-monogamy. Have you ever heard that term before? <laughs> uh, I, I've not heard that term before, but yeah. they've been trying to make uh, non-monogamy and sexual immorality um, uh, a non-issue in the world. As long as Christians say that's sin, you can't do it. Um, they're going to no. keep doing it. Go ahead, t- tell me what they yeah. what they're talking about, Jeff. So, well, well, this the story that they referred to was uh, three men that got married in California. They allowed three men to get married, and they wanted to have a baby, so they paid for a surrogate mother, and all three of them were sperm donors. The baby was born, and then the judge decided to allow to have all three men be listed as fathers on the baby boy's birth certificate. And so leading into my question, which is actually sort of like how you were answering Cindy earlier, but... I was reading Romans 11 and 12 last night, and I got stuck on Romans 11, 8, about the spirit of stupor, or mm-hmm. as King James calls it, the spirit of anguish. And I, I know it's referring to to Israel's hardening against God's grace, but I'm wondering if you just talk about the principle. I, I know you probably have to go back to uh, verse 7, too, but the principle and the application you know, because, I mean, it's like we, the world, can no longer perceive what, what divine truth is. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that's it. I'll get off yeah. the phone. Love you. Thank Have you. Great weekend. Thank, thank you. You Bye-bye. too, Jeff. You know, Jeff's hit a, a sore spot in my heart. I'm, I've been reading some stuff. There's, um, you know, we have been talking about morality, Christians have. Um, from from the beginning of time, um, but but we have an authority, uh, the the Word of God, the Bible. Um, unbelievers have been trying to cast doubt on the Word of God from the very beginning. Satan's been trying to. Did God really say literally from the very beginning? And I think we have to understand what exactly uh, the world is doing. They're not denying morality; they're changing it. Just like they've won the battle for the definition of words, Jeff, they're changing morality. You know, we say that uh, a man having sex with a man or a woman having sex with a woman or a man becoming a woman or a woman becoming a woman, we say that's sin. And and our response is, well, look, it's God. Your argument's with God, not with us. We're just telling you what God says. And, of course, they're unbelievers. Um, They've done everything they can uh, in my lifetime and beyond um, to to try to convince us that we came from animals, and if that's the case, then we, we, we live like animals, and it's perfectly okay to do that. Well, what they've done is they've changed it. Uh, we kill 65 million babies, 
and and they say, well, well, no, we don't think that's wrong, and so they find other causes that they deem are moral. Uh, I I've I've actually had young people say to me that it's worse not to recycle than it is to have an abortion, and they believe it. Uh, you got groups like PETA and other places, and 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 you know they they put all life on the same level as human life. And of course we know that doesn't happen, but so there is their morality is save the whales or save the environment or save the salamanders or whatever it is. And see that way they can assuage their conscience. So we have to really understand what's happening in this world. We say, well, you have, you're immoral. And they say, no, I care about the environment. I care about recycling. I care about all these things. They've just changed it because the human condition, we can't live without a directed sense of morality. So they don't like Jesus's sense of morality. Um, so they just change it to their own and they convince themselves that they're okay. That's what progressive Christianity is um, is doing as well, Jeff. So I think that's what we need to realize is going on. Now, rather than Romans 11, I think your point is better illustrated by Romans chapter 1, where the Bible says God gave them over. Because their hearts were hard, because we continuously rebelled against God, because we performed indecent acts, men with men and women with women, unnatural acts, is actually one of the terms that Paul uses. Um, God gave us over. And there's nothing worse that can happen to humankind than for God to leave us alone with ourselves. The book of Judges describes what happens when man does what seems right to him. And uh, Jeff, that's where we are right now. And as he leaves us alone... Our hearts are harder and harder. One thought, and then I've got another call from George. I'll take in just one second. George, please be patient. Um, I was listening to somebody talk about God um, leaving America alone with itself. Um, you know, I, I believe America, the United States of America, had a purpose in, in the plan of God. That purpose was to be Israel's protector, to ensure that there was an opportunity in 1948 for Israel to come back into their homeland as a people, uh, to to help supply them with weaponry uh, for the 1967, the 1973 wars. Um, it just our job was to be Israel's champion, and we did it very well for so long. But it's been a very long time since we have truly been Israel's champion. And it's almost, I told Paula, I was explaining this to her the other day, it's almost like you get this big whoosh, and that's the Shekinah glory of God leaving America. And now we're on our own. And you see, Jeff, how quickly things have deteriorated. You see how quickly thinking has changed. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago, 10 years is no time at all in history. Who would have thought 10 years ago that anybody would believe that a man could become a woman just because he said he was? It's like me saying, well, you know, I could be six foot five or six foot eight and I could play basketball. I could jump high. I think I'm entitled to that. Well, I can't do it. It's physically impossible. But suddenly it's okay. 
And now anybody who says the kind of things that I'm saying based on the word of God is branded a hater. The world has deteriorated. We're circling the drain. And God has left America alone with ourselves. And it's not a pretty picture. And that's why I believe, Jeff, that you don't see a role of what once was the most powerful, most honorable country on the face of the earth in the history of the world. I don't, we don't see any role at all in the last days. Thanks, Jeff. Good thoughts. Let's go to George in Whittier, California. George, thank you for being patient. You're on the air. Oh, that's, that's no problem at all. Uh, Pastor Ron. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the answer to all these questions. Uh, um, I, this is a basic question. Um, I'd like to ask you, which is um, just concerning one's level of faith. I know that it's important. We see where Jesus scolded folks for not having enough faith, but yep. um, kind of, I'm trying to get away from the thinking of it as, like, for example, you, you mentioned heights. I was too short. I can't make myself taller, but what, what is the best way to, I know you can pray for faith. Um, how do you how do you increase your faith? I guess that's the whole basic question I'm trying to get to here, Pastor Ron. Yeah, um, George, couple couple of things. Than, Go ahead. No, well, rather than depend on how you feel, just have that faith yeah. that you know that you know. Yeah, George, I, I'll I'll answer two two things. One, if you get the opportunity, and you have to do it tonight if you've got other plans, but listen to the Bible study that I'm doing tonight. It's going to be online at calvaryessay.com, live at 7 o'clock, but you can listen to it all throughout the weekend. At any time, it'll be up, I'm sure, by Saturday um, morning, mid-morning probably. Um, but but I'm going to talk. My, my whole study tonight is about faith. And, and I truly want the people to leave here tonight knowing that faith is a gift God has given for them, not just to watch other people walk in faith. And, and George, the Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God obviously wants all of us to be in a place where we can be pleasing to him. And that means we've got to trust him. And that's all faith is. Faith is active trusting. And the way your faith grows is to exercise it. You know, I go to the gym and there's a bunch of bodybuilders in there and they're, you know, posing in the mirrors and taking pictures of themselves. You know, I think that's silly, but maybe if I look like they did, I would take pictures of me too. I don't know for sure. But the way they get muscles that are big and defined and cut is by exercising them. Well, exactly the same thing is true. With faith, you got to trust God today. And if you trust him today, it'll be a little easier to trust him tomorrow. And because he wants you to grow in faith, he's going to put little tests and trials in your life. And it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, Jesus, I don't feel good today. I'm a little afraid of things, but I'm going to trust you today no matter what. And then the next day, he gives you another opportunity. And you exercise it. You trust him today. Tomorrow will be a little bit easier. Trust him tomorrow. The next day will be a little bit easier. And pretty soon, you'll get to a place where you just find it impossible not to trust him. Because he's shown himself powerful. He's shown himself faithful 
over and over and over. And that, George, is the reason that Jesus would greet his disciples uh, at times with, oh, ye of little faith, have I been with you so long? The idea is, look, you've watched the things I've done. Um, Jesus fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. That means there was probably ten to 15,000 people total there with uh, two little pieces of fish and five little cheap barley loaves of bread. And the disciples had it in their hands. They were part of the miracle, and and yet it wasn't too much later than that when there were 4,000 people out there. They, they, they didn't know what to do. And Jesus said, did you not learn from the feeding of the 5,000? So all we have to do to increase our faith is actually walk in it. One of the things, George, that we've got to do is we've got to stop taking matters into our own hands. Don't do what seems right to us. Do what God says, even if you're afraid, even if you have doubts, even if the enemy's trying to ruin your day. All you got to do is decide, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And as you are in the Word uh, and you learn more about who Jesus is and how faithful he is and how powerful he is, it becomes easier to trust him. And then we have to get in that habit of trusting him. So faith is actively trusting. And I I could tell a story that would take um, a, a whole program here, George, of how God is, has exercised my faith or he's made me exercise my faith because he's put me in positions where I had no choice but to trust him. And every time, I'd like to represent myself as being so spiritual that, oh yeah, I'm not afraid, but every time I've been afraid, every time I was afraid of looking like an idiot or I was afraid of failing and letting people down, or as afraid of, well, Jesus, this just seems impossible. I don't know how you can do it. But you get to the place where you're afraid to miss out on the next thing God has for you. And that's what exercising your faith really is. So be in the Word. Find out more and more and more every day about who Jesus is. Um, Study the lives. I'm going to talk about several Old Testament examples tonight, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to not to make them superhuman examples because I don't want people to, to sort of dismiss them. Just everyday people who were in trouble who God delivered. And I want the everyday people at Calvary Chapel, I want the everyday people who listen to the Word to stand up for life, I want them to know that they can trust God in good times and in bad times. And if we'll just resist taking matters in our own hands, we'll see God move on our behalf and move through us so consistently that you finally get to a place where you stop asking God, uh, well, did I hear you? How do I know this is you? You'll just know. George, I got to tell you, I'm still afraid. I'm afraid nearly every day of my life. I've explained that to to our church over and over throughout the years. I don't want people ever to think that, well, Pastor Ron thinks he's some kind of a faith giant. I'm not. But I've just learned that it's harder not to trust God after all the things that he's done for us and through us 
than it is to take what we would consider in a human sense the easy way out. So, George, I hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, tonight, I'm, I'm being told tonight's live stream video sermon will be up by 9 o'clock Central Standard Time, uh, Central Daylight Time tonight, 7 p.m. for George. So, George, you're in Whittier, so um, um, you're two hours behind us, so it will be up if you don't get to see it live. Okay. That help, I George? Have access to it. Yes, it does. Okay. Thanks, Ron. Thank you very much. Good. Okay, George. Thank you very, very much. Before I go to another question, I don't know where we are in time here, but um, let me call your attention to, uh, you know, we we asked for prayer for Pastor James Coates from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Uh, he was in jail for a little over three weeks uh, because he was uh, meeting him in his church. Uh, they, they met for 37 consecutive weeks, um, and they put him in jail. And we are praying for him um, at the end of last week, or maybe it was the beginning of this week. I don't know. I lose sight of time. lose a sense of time. Uh, he was released from jail. And uh, we were all thrilled. And, of course, his congregation of 400 people were all thrilled. Um, yesterday, yesterday, the authorities, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Public Health safety agencies in the middle of the night showed up and put dual fences around the church building, put a black tarp around the second fence so nobody could see in, and they've seized the property. And they actively have blockades so nobody can go on the property. There's a lot of traffic on the street that goes by the church, but they actually seized property that belongs to the church. Now, this is Canada. This isn't a third world country. This is about 2,000 miles from San Antonio, Texas. This is where the world is going. Jeff, to get back to, to your question, this, this is just how hard human hearts can become. And all because they wouldn't stop meeting. They haven't had a single case of COVID in their church from the very beginning. It is a rural county. You can see if you look at the pictures on YouTube uh, of their of their church, it's out in the in the farmland. I mean, it's it's a very rural community, and they're not in any kind of danger. And yet, their property has been unlawfully seized in the name of public health. It is an unbelievable situation. We are not that far from seeing that very same kind of scenario in the United States. In Los Angeles, John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church, They've done everything they can do to seize the property, make them stop. And, of course, we still have a Supreme Court here and uh, and, and the Second Amendment uh, Constitution. Um, we, we, we still have rights, and, and the Supreme Court has upheld those rights. So they've been um, 
they haven't been able to to do what they want to do, but it's not for lack of trying. So Christians, we need to understand the time that we're living in. We need to understand that this is demonic activity working through normal, everyday citizens. They seized the property of a church and are refusing to let people go in. Now, I don't know where they're going to meet on Sunday, but I know they will meet. And because of what's happened, and here's how God will be glorified, because of what's happened, the 400 people that attend their church, that's the size of the congregation, uh, will, will be tripled that in size. Because now people are angry, righteously angry. And churches, pastors in Canada are being challenged to, to open their churches, to, to exercise civil disobedience. It's 2,000 miles from San Antonio, Texas. And this is now the world that we live in. Talk about God-haters. Read Second Timothy chapter 3, just the first couple of verses. And what is described are the very times that we live in. Let me see if I get a question I can get to real, real quickly. Well, we got just a couple minutes left. Um, Dale says, my church has both members and regular attendees. What is the difference in those categories? Um, Dale, uh, members um, have joined. In some cases, they've signed uh, membership covenants. They've agreed to... Uh, abide by the disciplinary action if there's any necessary taken by the church. Uh, they have agreed in the membership covenants to give a certain percentage of their income and those kind of things. Um, um, uh, we we don't have membership at Calvary Chapel. We always consider anybody who's been here more than twice a, a full-fledged member of the church. We're just happy to see them. But we don't ask anybody to sign any covenants. It's all such silliness to me. And yet uh, there are some um, churches that have memberships who probably say, well, if you're a regular attendee, then you need to be a member. Um, but but biblically, there's um, absolutely no support for that whatsoever. So um, they would they would see the difference as a regular attender, just somebody who's getting blessed by the church but not committed to the church. Members are the ones that are truly committed to the church. They're the ones who would have, in some cases, voting rights. Um, they would have access to to leadership um, and those kind of things. Uh, Dale, it makes no sense to me. Um, we're the body of Christ. People show up. Uh, we're praising the Lord and we're singing love songs to him uh, and we're teaching the word of God. And, and in the process, we become members of God's family, God's church. And that's really the only church that matters. Hey, well, we are done with a new week. Thank you for your calls and thanks for your questions. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you this weekend. When you go to church, find somebody that looks like they need to be prayed for, somebody who needs to be loved a little bit. Be the one that God can use. God bless you. I'll see you next week on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye.